All right, take your Bibles open to Romans chapter 7. As you know, the church in Rome, there are believing Jews as well as believing Gentiles. Both groups came to faith in Christ the exact same way that you and I did. As you know, they, like every person, was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. One distinction, though, is that the Jews had come out of Judaism. Probably a little bit of legalism, probably a little bit of Jewish traditions as well. All of these, to one degree or another, had them placed or living under the law. As you know, the law was only given to one nation. Please understand that. The law was only given to one nation, and that, of course, was the nation of Israel, God's covenant people. He did so to, number one, show His holy standards to the Jews, which would then set them apart from every other nation on the earth. And then number two, unbeknownst to them, it was also to show them their sin, to show them that they fall woefully short of God's holy standards and hopefully, Lord willing, subsequently would lead them, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.24. Well, after many of them did come to saving faith in Christ, some, some of the Jews, were confused. What were they to do with the law? Were they still bound to these Jewish requirements? Well, Paul, a believing Jew himself, he knew this, and so throughout this letter, he had made some very clear statements up to this point so as to help those to understand that the law only goes so far, okay? The law does not, cannot save anybody, and it does not and cannot sanctify anyone. If you back up, the few verses that he shared, I just picked a few, but in chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. He said no one. Matter of fact, he said it was through the law that we become conscious of sin, which we'll get into today, okay? But just a couple verses later, in verse 22, he says on the other side, righteousness which does not come from the law, he says it comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So he says, here's, here's where it doesn't come from, here's where it does come from. Chapter 4, verse 5, it says, however, to the man who does not work, to the man who's not trying to earn his salvation, not trying to work under the law, he says, but he trusts and God who justifies the wicked, notice what he says. He says his faith is credited to him as righteousness. Not works, his faith. One more, verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but it was through the righteousness that comes by faith. And that, by the way, on the flip side, verse 15 says, the law, it brings wrath. Wrath. So you see a contrast through the law as well as faith and or righteousness, salvation, and whatnot in just those few verses. 
Paul then, as you know, went into to chapter 6. He became very clear when he says you're either going to be a slave. You either are a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. You are definitely going to be a slave to sin if you live underneath the law because that's what the law does. It shows you that on a continual basis you have failed, that you have sinned against God. Now, thankfully, in the midst of all this, in chapter 6, verse 14, we are told, and I quote, we are not under the law, but under grace. I made sure I said that's a quote. I want you to understand that's from the Word of God. We are not under the law. We are under grace. Enter chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Paul gave a, a very simple illustration on death and marriage. You might remember that. He talked about how a couple is bound together, okay, under the law of marriage until one of them dies, right? And then he says, when the one dies, once there is death, okay, the other one is, and I quote, released from that law, the law of marriage, okay? Through death, one is released from the law and is therefore free to marry another. Well, in his explanation of that, starting in verse 4, the very first words Paul uses here is, you died, right? Thinking of that illustration, he says, you died. What did you die to? You died to the law, he says, through the body of Christ. If you remember from the very beginning there in chapter 6, we were told that when Christ died, it was as if we died, right? Matter of fact, in verse 5, he says we were unified with him in his death, okay? The point being made here in chapter 7, just like the illustration that he gave on marriage, is that we died, and when we did, we died to the law, he says. And therefore, just like the spouse who was free to remarry, he says, we too, verse 4, he says, we too might belong to another, to the one, he says, who was raised from the dead. Speaking of these Jews, you're no longer under the law because of death. You're now, if you will, married. We'll use that term since we are the bride of Christ, Right? to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was raised from the dead. But it was because of death, he says. Matter of fact, verse 6 is very clear on this in chapter 7. He says, but now, by dying to what once bound us, that's the law, right? We die to the law. The law is what bound us. He says, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Certainly that's important for everyone to, to understand today because there are still believers. There are still Christians who don't quite understand all this, even Gentile believers. Well, that brought us to verses 7 and 8, which we looked at last time. And here, Paul is still discussing the issue of the law. But as you can tell, he has another point to make, okay? Based on all the verses that I had just read to you, Paul knows that someone reading this letter, one of the Jews in Rome reading this letter, 
is then going to ask the question, well, then, Paul, what good is the law? Right? After he made all those comments, then what good is the law, Paul? If what you're saying is correct, then, then what's the purpose? Right? What's the purpose of the law? And therefore, this is ultimately where Paul is going to spend his time talking about really through the end of this chapter. But the very beginning, though, here, the first half of verse 7, he wants to make something very clear. You'll notice that Paul asked the question there, and he says, is the law sin? And of course, he answers it, and he says, certainly not. It's actually absolutely not. You see two verses before that? Just two verses before, in verse 5, Paul said, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature, listen to what he says, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies and so that we bore fruit for death. Folks, knowing that somebody reading that might actually misunderstand that, Paul is essentially saying a holy law which is based on the very nature of God himself, does not cause sin. He says it is the sinful passions within you and me. It's the sinful passions within us that are stirred up whenever we're told that we should not indulge in a particular sin. Because that sinful, that rebellious nature, when we're told not to do something, guess what? We all know it. That's what we want to do. That's not the fault of the law. You can't blame that on the law. So he says, no, therefore the law is not sinful. Matter of fact, verse 12, which we'll look at later, he says, it is holy, it is righteous, and it is good. And here, starting in the second half of verse 7, is why that is. Why is the law holy and righteous and good? Well, here is where Paul begins to discuss the purpose of the law. And notice he makes it very personal because he's using himself. He's using his own personal experiences for this teaching. Second half of verse 7, notice he says, Paul says, Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. (laughs) So folks, what Paul is saying is that the law is the means of revealing our sin. The law is the means of revealing our sin. For that is exactly what happened to him. He knows that. And of course, Paul is simply using coveting as the example. In other words, it was because of the law that Paul could accurately identify sin. He knew that. When God said, for example, don't do this, and he was doing that, or he wanted to do that, well, he knows. That's what helped him say, that's sin. It's a pretty simple concept. Now, to even go further, in verse 8, Paul expands on what he said earlier in verse 5 by showing that there's a connection with the law and the nature to sin. What does he say in verse 8? He says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, what did it do? It produced in me every kind of covetous desire. (laughs) The law which said, do not covet, Paul says, 
gave me the desire to covet, (laughs) is basically what he's saying. He's saying the law stirs up sin. As I mentioned earlier, the law itself is holy, it is righteous, it is good. The problem is that you and me, mankind, we are not. The commands of the law, here Paul's talking about do not covet, but the commands of the law in general stimulate sin within us so as to violate the very command we're told to not do. Remember I used to jokingly say about the park bench, it's the same thing. Touching a park bench isn't a sin, but many other things are. We're told, do not do this. Now we want to do it because of that sinfulness within us. And so this is not just universal truth, but Paul is saying, I know this on a personal level because this is exactly what happened to me. It's not true because it happened to Paul, right? You know that? Do you understand that? Experience is not the basis for truth. It happens to be a universal truth, and Paul's saying, that's exactly what happened to me. See? He continues in verse 9 with what took place in his own life. Look at verse 9. He says, once, or if you want to just say at, at one time, you can put that too. At one time, I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. So he begins here by saying, there was a time in his life, he says, when he called himself alive. Why? Well, he says, because I was apart from the law. I was alive because I was apart from the law. Now, there are some commentators uh, out there who, who generalize this statement instead of taking it as Paul's personal experience, okay? And they will say the reason is, is because there's never been a time in Paul's life that he lived apart from the law. We all know from Acts 23, verse 6, Paul was not only a Pharisee, Paul was the son of a Pharisee, right? And so they're saying that Paul has never known life without the law. And therefore, they believe Paul is saying, Relatively speaking, they believe Paul is saying there was a period of time between the fall of man and the giving of the law, okay? When man in general was alive. Because as you know, there was no law. That's what some of them are saying. Now, we all understand, folks, that there was no law, God's law at that time, and therefore there were no lists of commands to break. Okay, we know that. But Paul is in the, right in the middle of a very lengthy personal testimony where he's speaking about himself. Okay? It doesn't mean that the principles can't be applied to everybody else, but it does mean that he is speaking about his own individual past. He's not talking about a bunch of other people. He's saying me. Matter of fact, in verses 7 through 25... Okay, in this section, he speaks about himself as well as his past. He uses the word I 12 times. He uses the word me 11 times. He even throws the word myself in there two times. So in just those verses alone, 25 times he mentions himself. 
You know why? Because that's who he's talking about. He's not talking about something in generalities. And I say this, folks, because I, want, I, I don't want to take away anything from Paul's past, and I don't want to take anything away from his personal testimony and somehow generalize it to all men. If anything, when he says that he was alive apart from the law, certainly could have been when he was young, when he was unaware of the impact of God's commands. I mean, he, I mean I'm sure at that point he, was, uh, he, he certainly knew some of the law. His father was a Pharisee. I'm sure he knew some of the law when he was young, but he had no conviction about it, Right? Memorizing something, which I'm sure he had to do, memorizing something in your head, folks, and knowing it in your heart are two different things. You can memorize a law all you want, but if it's not applicable, if it's not real, if it's not spiritual inside of you, it, it's, it's just that. It's just stuck in your head. Or it could be, as I brought up a few weeks ago, before Paul was saved, he, just like many of the other Jews, did not fully grasp the point of the law, and therefore all of them externalized it. As you know, many, many Jews externalized the law. They never used the law to actually look at the sinfulness of their heart and were therefore free from it. Or as he says here, they were alive. That's really what that means. They were kind of free from it. They were alive because they never really dealt with it as they should have. The law was never used in their heart correctly or appropriately. I think of Philippians 3, where, where Paul here, he basically said, you might remember this text, he said, man, if there's anybody who could brag about uh, uh, their life or past life in Judaism, boy, I'm one of them. I'm the man. Okay. Now listen to the first four things that he quotes. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. Folks, do you realize that none of those are any of his doing? Not one. He didn't do anything about that. He had no control over those things. But yet he was able to boast about them. Yet he didn't do anything to accomplish those things. And the point being here, Paul was, quote, alive apart from the law because he, just like others, thought that he had a right standing before God. As Expositor's Commentary says, he was careless and self-deceived as to his own righteousness. Even though, that had, even though he personally didn't do anything to be born of two Hebrews, or, you know, of Israel, or the tribe of Ben, he, he didn't have anything to do with that. His parents had him circumcised in the eighth day. I'm sure he didn't make that choice. Albert Barnes says, though he had the law and probably was attempting to obey it, yet he was unacquainted with its spiritual and holy nature. He aimed at external conformity. Its claims on the heart were unfelt. And of course, he says, this is the condition of every self-confident sinner and of everyone who is unawakened. I like how he says that. The law is real. The law is powerful. 
The law is used by God, but you're unawakened to it. You're not allowing it to be used properly as the way that God wanted to. So there's never really any conviction of sin. He just thought, like a lot of Jews, I'm right with God because I'm a Jew. I do all these external things, and I'm good to go. So all of that being said, whether Paul speaks of his childhood or, or, or maybe whether he speaks of himself as an adult Jew who had no spiritual convictions, we know what his mindset was at that time prior to his salvation. Okay? He had no concern for the law as far as internally, as far as the heart. That's why he says, I was apart from the law. It didn't do anything to me on the inside, see? Folks, just growing up a Pharisee and growing up under a Pharisee does not mean that you automatically apply the law correctly, does it? You should know that Jesus himself chewed out many a Pharisee. (laughs) They had no understanding of the use of the law of God. But something changed. Something changed. Look at the second half of verse 9. He says, but when the commandment came, what happened? Sin sprang to life, and I died. So previously, Paul had no interconnection with the law. He had no no conviction. He wasn't spiritually bound to it, uh, as we would say, He was alive, he was free, if you will, until, he says, the commandment came. No, that wasn't when Moses gave the law, by the way. That was 1,400 years earlier. Using those words, the commandment came, meant that Paul became aware of the inner ramifications of the law. In other words, he would begin to look at it, read it, sense it differently. No longer externally, but internally. See, he began to probably experience internal strife. You might say his spiritual eyes were beginning to open. That had to happen to every one of us at one time. MacArthur says he began to see himself as he really was, and he began to understand how far short he came of the law's righteous standard. He just literally looked at the law one day, I'm sure because of the conviction of God, and he looked at it differently. It impacted him differently. And what happened? He said, sin sprang to life. (laughs) Folks, this is where Paul experienced the purpose of the law. Whether he knew it or not at that point in his life, this is where Paul experienced the purpose of the law. This is is verse 5 and verse 8 come to life. Verse 5 says, The sinful passions aroused by the law. Did you catch that? The sinful passions within him were aroused by the law. They were at work in our bodies. Verse 8 says, Sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. What did it do? It produced in me every kind of covetous desire. When I finally realized what it said, when it said, Do not covet, that is exactly what I wanted to do now. It just started bringing about a desire to covet. Folks, this is what the law does. 
This is why here in verse 9, he finally came to grips with the law. And remember, this is, this is in Paul's past. He finally came to grips with the law, and he said, sin sprang to life. Thayer's Greek says that word life. It means to live again. It means, it means to revive. It means to regain strength. Okay? It's almost as if, almost as if sin was sitting dormant within you, Right? But when the law said, do not covet, the sin within him began to say, that's exactly what I want to do. Once again, that's verse 8. The commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire. And that's when Paul said, what? I died. Sin sprang to life. When I finally realized, when I finally internalized the law and, and saw it for what it is, it made me realize I want to covet even more, which made me realize I'm a disaster, I'm a mess, I'm a horrible sinner. And he says, I died. I died. In other words, when Paul, at that point, Paul realized, maybe this is a better way of putting it, that he was dead spiritually. He realized that. Folks, remember, Paul the Pharisee was very self-confident. Paul the Pharisee was assured of his right standing with God. Oh, he knew that, no question, right? Remember the Pharisee who stood before God and said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like these guys? It's kind of, it's that mindset, see? In Philippians 3, once again, in verse 6, Paul talking about his past, he says, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless, faultless. But now, because of the law, the holy and righteous standards of God, Paul saw his sinfulness. Instead of an external righteousness, he finally realized internally in other words, in his own heart, he was not even close to being worthy. Because it's as if the law of God came to life, and when it did that, sin followed it, <laughs> just like that. And at that point in Paul's life, he found out something else, verse 10. He said, I found out that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. There's a switch, huh? Now, the words there, this commandment, uh, here, of course, as you know, he means do not covet. That's the context. That's, Paul's been using that term as an example of do not covet. Um, but I want you to understand it's really representing the law as a whole. Right? Paul could have used any, any law of God, didn't matter what it would be, and it wouldn't change the application to this entire text. Okay? I want you to know that. But he's talking about the law, but he's speaking in particular about the, um, uh, the one that says do not covet. But you can use any of them. Okay? So the words, this commandment, or if you will, the law in general, Paul says, Paul says was intended to bring life. Do you see that? Paul says the law was intended to bring life. Now, folks, as you know, the law points out the path of righteousness, doesn't it? It does. The Jews, listen, this is important, the Jews felt that observance of the law would bring them eternal life, didn't they? 
That's what the Jews believed. If I observe the law, I have eternal life. But notice in this verse that Paul came to realize something very different, right? Now, in, in the NIV, it uses the words, I found, which is to say, I found out. Some of the other translations, ESV, NAS, they use the word proved, which is to say, it was proven to me. See? Well, what did he find out? What was proven to Paul? He found out that God's standards for life, right, what the Jews were to live by, not only did not bring him life, but just the opposite. It brought him death. He came to realize, wow, if I live by the law, I'm good to go. But he came to realize, uh-oh, I can't. He brought him death. Paul is saying the law itself proved to him that life was not in his future, but death was. The law demonstrated to him that he failed God. Okay? He sinned over and over. The law just continues to tell you that. While the Jewish scriptures, or what we know as the Old Testament... While it says in many places, how blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord, it is through that very same law that you find out you can't. Do you understand that? How blessed you are to walk in the laws of the Lord. But when you walk in the laws of the Lord, you realize you can't. You fail. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 In Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, listen to what it says. He says this, very simple. All who rely on observing the law, everybody who relies on observing the law, what does he say? You're under a curse. What? Are you kidding me? All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. But look what it says. Here's why. And he quotes from Deuteronomy. He says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Which, which basically says everybody is going to be cursed because not everybody is going to keep everything. You have to obey everything. Everything or you fail. That's it. It's simple as that. Therefore, if you're under the law, you're cursed. Because cursed is everyone who, who doesn't keep the, everything in the law. And because nobody can keep everything in the law, guess what? Then you're all cursed. If that's what you're doing, if you're trying to live underneath the law, he says you're cursed because you can't. You can't. You can't do it fully and completely and perfectly. It is impossible. Look at verse 11 here. He continues with the, the very same thought of what the law has done. He says, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, what did it do? Sin deceived me. And through the commandment, it put me to death. So Paul really is, is, is uh, repeating his thoughts here from verse 8, okay, which I read earlier. He's saying there, but sin, once again, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, he says it produced in me every kind of covetous desire. 
The only difference there in verse 11 is, verse 11, it says it put him to death. Okay? But he says here that sin deceived him. Folks, this is that rebellious nature of sin that is within each and every single person. It deceived him, he said. I told myself that I was going to do the right thing. I am going to obey the law. I'm going to do it this time. But yet the sin within him said, ah, that's not going to happen. You probably know later in this text, right, where Paul says, the things I want to do, I, I ended up not doing. I desire to do the things, and I can't do them. You guys probably remember those. This is what he's talking about. Sin deceived me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey it. And your sin inside of you says, no, you're not. No, you're not. Why is that? Because verse 5 said it. The sinful passions are aroused by the law. You can't help it. I can't help it. The New Living Translation says, the law aroused the evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds. That word aroused there, it means, it means to uh, have an affection for or a passion, right? And in these verses, what does it mean? It's a passion to what? Sin. It's a passion to sin. As the New Living Translation said, it produced a harvest of sinful deeds. That means a lot. <laughs> the law telling us clearly what is wrong in the eyes of God stirs up the evil in the unbeliever because of that built-in rebellious nature that makes him want to do the very thing that God despises. The very presence of truth, Paul says, urges us to rebel. And once again, Paul says, it brought death. Folks, it starts with the law, and every time it ends with sin and death, every time. And finally, in verse 12, which I quoted earlier, dealing with the question from verse 7, right? Remember in the question, is the law sin? Well, Paul answered that, of course, absolutely not. It's not sin. But here's where he clears the air, and he says just the opposite in verse 12. He said, so then, the law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Now, folks, obviously, the laws and the standards of God could be nothing less I mean, we have to understand that automatically, right? The holy standards of God, which are based on His very nature, are perfect. They're holy. They're good in every way, right? The problem that, uh, is that the sin within us is diametrically opposed to the truth. Sin within us, folks, that sin nature, that's sometimes called the sin principle, it is diametrically opposed to the truth which is, by the way, what we just got through talking about, and therefore it drives us to rebel and sin. But here's the key, though. Here's the key. 
is that this causes us to realize that there is a massive gap between ourselves and God's law. There's a huge gap between us and God's law. One is righteous. One is holy. One is good. And the other, that's you and me, opposes that. Therefore, the problem lies, folks, with you and me. The problem lies with the sinner. We have to understand that. I mean, folks, think about it. We support, we as a people, we support the very laws, for example, that convict a rapist and throw him into prison. We support those laws, absolutely. Well, because that person ended up going to prison, it's not the fault of the law, is it? It's not the law's fault. It's the actions of the person. There's no difference. See, Christians just have a hard time realizing that we're horrible, sinful people. Hopefully, we don't continue in that path, obviously, now that you're born again. But people have a hard time recognizing that. Well, you know, I went to a Christian school. I went to a Christian college. You know, I go to church. I teach Bible study. I, do I don't care. That's great. Don't get me wrong. That does not change that sin nature, that sin principle inside of you. Because you still sin, hopefully a whole lot less, but you still sin. Even with all that knowledge, even with all that education, even with all the Scripture memorization, we all still sin. That's the problem I think that some people have. But there we can begin to understand, folks, the purpose of the law. See? And Paul's going to say a whole lot more on this subject matter as we continue throughout this chapter. And we're going to we'll pick up on this next week, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time in Your Word today. Uh, thank You, Lord, for I hope... Um, that I've done an okay job in giving people a better understanding um, of what the law is for. Why is it used? And of course, we haven't finished it yet, Lord, but help people to see clearly because it applies to us. We know, if we're honest with ourselves, we know this rebellious sin nature that is within us. And we know that when the perfect law of God stares us in the face and says, do this and don't do this, sometimes our first thought is to rebel but now I want to do that. Lord, we know that. We get it. And so help us to see that's what you're talking about. And praise God that you used those laws, those principles, those commands, those statutes to cause us to realize that we are dreadful sinners and therefore lead us to Jesus Christ. As Galatians 3.24 says, that we might be justified by faith in Christ. Lord, continue to teach us as we go through this passage in the weeks coming. 